we're starting a new series today. We've come through 13, 14 weeks of Revelation, and, uh, and what we want to do now is, just across our three sites, is to focus on really some of the basics, um, or what we might call the core doctrines of, of belief and faith. And when I say the word doctrine, you might just sort of go, oh, great, this sounds boring. Um, and, and, you know, sure, there's certainly been times, I think, in the, the church's life that we haven't taught in a way that's very compelling. Not necessarily here as, as us, as a congregation, or as our site is Cornerstone, but the church in general. And I think that's, that's a terrible thing, when we can't see how teaching is actually deeply connected to our lives. What's the point of it, if we're just playing with ideas? It's not meant to be some ivory tower. And so what we want to do is is have a a clear understanding of what the core teaching of the Christian faith is, but deeply connected to life, because it should have a a real outflow in the way that we live. It should change the way that we live. It shouldn't just be some thought that we play around with. And we're inspired by a particular verse um, where Paul is writing to his young uh, protege, Timothy. Let's just go to that verse here. This is 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul says to Timothy, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Timothy is a young uh, pastor who was trained by Paul, and Paul is reminding him of some of these things, and just in the midst of all this uh, going on, as he tries to lead this congregation and, and do all that he can to help grow the church, Paul says to him, watch your life and doctrine. In other words, make sure that the things you're thinking about for your faith actually have an impact on on how you live your faith. Because if these two things are divorced from each other, if these two things aren't somehow connected, and if what you're believing about God isn't somehow playing itself out in the way that you live, if it's not giving you life, if, if you're not flourishing, if it's making you more hateful towards other people because they're wrong and you're right, well then, there's probably something wrong with your teaching, with what you believe. So doctrine feels like a heavy word, but it should be something that actually is a little more familiar. It, it should be something that we don't say, oh, what was that doctrine again? We should actually come to a place in our lives where what we believe about God is, is so present in our minds and so you know, integral to our lives that it's just kind of there. It's just part of it. It's, we don't have to sit and think about it so much and try to remember something rote that we memorized, but it's something that we've internalized so fully and completely that our beliefs and the teachings play themselves out in our lives. So with that said, we're going to get started on a really easy one today, just to kind of get the ball rolling. The Trinity. Let's just just go for an easy one, right? The Trinity is easy to understand and comprehend and see how it connects to our everyday lives, right? Some of you are like, is this considered basic level? I don't think I'm coming back. No, this this can be a confusing one for sure. But I think as we explore it, as we lean into it this morning, we're actually going to find, you know, there is a lot of mystery to it for sure, but there's a lot of life in it too, 
And it's deeply connected to who we are as a community, as a church, and as people who want to follow God. So uh, this is just kind of a, a definition uh, to help us kind of understand it. There's a lot packed in here, and I'm going to try to pull apart some of the nuances as we go this morning. Um, but the Trinity is one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are each fully and equally God. They think, they feel, they act in perfect harmony at all times and in all things. So if you look at the diagram that's here, you'll see the inner triangle here says the Son is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Each one of the three persons is God. They share in that same substance. There's not sort of one is higher or greater or better. They are all equally God. But there is a differentiation between them. So the Son is not the Father. You see on the outer triangle, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. This is confusing, sure. How is it that these three together are one and yet also distinct? That is a mystery for us. It's one that we might not readily understand. There is no analogy I can give you that will fully explain this because God is unique. And so over the years, you may have heard different sort of explanations. I'll talk about some of them as we go. Uh, And all of them fall short in some way because they can't fully explain something as incredible as God himself. But I think the way that I have often uh, perceived this is to think about uh, members, say, uh, three members of a trio or a band. And because of when I grew up in high school and my age, I, the, only, the band that comes to my mind when I think of a three-person band is, is actually Nirvana, which is kind of ironic given that that's sort of a name from a different religious system. But the three members of that band together are that band, Nirvana. Now, where it's different is that each individual member is not fully Nirvana. (laughs) But together they form this one unit. Now, we're going to walk through sort of a breakdown of each of these terms that have been packed together to sort of pull this apart in a a hopefully a meaningful way. So let's do that now. Let's go to the, the next thing. The Trinity is one God. So that was part of what was said. And what that means is that the Trinity isn't polytheism and it isn't tritheism, which are words that simply means it's not many gods and it's not three gods. So this is still monotheism, one God, okay? So what we're not saying is that there's three gods, that's not the case, and what we're not saying is that there's more than three gods or many gods. No, we're saying there is one God. Deuteronomy 6.4, which is also repeated in Mark 12.29 by Jesus, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is one of the most core affirmations of the faith in the Old Testament, but also coming into the new. There is one God. Jesus even continues this uh, when he says in John 10.30, The Father and I are one. And of course, this is mysterious to understand. It's it's hard to comprehend how this is possible. 
And yet Jesus is affirming the same thing that has been taught for centuries, that there is one God. Not multiple gods, not three, there's one God. Let's go on to the next uh, section. The Trinity eternally exists, and we also heard who are each fully and equally God. So uh, this is not Arianism, which says that the Son was created. Now, our language fails us, because when we say Father and Son, we automatically think that the Father creates the Son. That's just how our language works. It's unfortunate because it leads us to believe something that isn't true. It leads us to believe that the Son was created. Now, Jesus did come onto this earth at a specific time and place, but he wasn't created. The Son has existed eternally, always with God. We've experienced Jesus, the Son come in the flesh, within time. But the Son has always existed. Here it's more helpful to realize that Father and Son are meant to represent a close relationship and a connection rather than origin and then, uh, and then one who was created. Here in Colossians chapter 1, we read these verses. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. So there was a number of things that we heard there. We heard that Jesus was fully God. There was no distinction here. He was God. But we also read that he was not created. He existed before anything was created. In fact, through him, God created. It's almost like Jesus was a template that God used to create the people and things of this world. So, here we are seeing clearly that Jesus eternally existed. He was not a creation. And that he was fully and equally God. Now, I recognize I'm not speaking about the Spirit right now, but we're not going to go through all the different verses that might differentiate each individual person within the Trinity just yet. That would take us too long, but I hope what you'll see is there's a clarity, at least on this one point, with Jesus as the Son. Let's continue on to the next section. The Trinity is distinct persons, and they act in perfect harmony at all times and in all things. So this is not modalism, which is to say that there's one God, but he shows himself in three different ways. So an analogy that would be failing us would be H2O. When H2O is frozen, it's ice. When it's sort of at room temperature, it's water. And when it's heated up, it becomes steam. But what that means is that that water is three different things at three different times. That same H2O can't be simultaneously steam, water, and ice. And so that's modalism. There's a mode. There's a different type for that one thing to be at different times. But that's not what Christians teach. It's not that God was a father, then showed himself as the son, then showed himself as the spirit. No, each of these three are distinct persons existing at all time, working together in everything. 
So you saw even in that last verse where it talked about how the Father created the world through Christ. So they're always working together in cooperation. In fact, an image that's often used, which is a funny one for those of us who are Baptists, is that there's this image of an eternal dance within God. Now, these days, dancing isn't so much a big deal for Baptists, but when I was younger, it was like, ooh, are you allowed to go to a high school dance? And it was like, Baptists don't do that. Well, God is involved in an eternal dance within himself. Constantly back and forth, moving with, working together, cooperating in perfect harmony. Whenever God is at work, all three members of the Trinity are at work because they work together like a band. They're making the music together. They need each other. They work together. It's a dynamic where one gives, one takes. One takes center stage for a moment, and it seems as though they are the one at work, but all three together are always at work together. This is hard for us to understand. It's a mystery. It's beyond our comprehension. But this is a core understanding of what it means to appreciate the Trinity. So it's not modalism, but it's also not hierarchy. It's not eternal subordination. These are big words, I know, I know. I'm trying to keep this as as clear as we can, but I want to use the terms just so you've heard them. So it's not hierarchy where the Father is greater than the Son. Again, it sounds like that's what it would mean, wouldn't it? Isn't the Father always better than the Son? Shouldn't the Son always just obey the Father? Well, that, that would make sense, but that's, it, there's something different here where our words fail us. There's not a hierarchy because, yes, certainly the Son does show obedience to the Father. And yes, Jesus sends the Spirit. But it's also clear that the Spirit is giving glory to the Father, and the Father is providing the Spirit and the Son, and they are constantly working to honor each other. So it's not that God the Father is at the top, Jesus is in the middle, and then the Son is down below. It doesn't work like that. In fact, that trinity that we saw, we could take it like one of those fidget spinners and just spin it around, and at any one moment in time, one might be at the quote-unquote top and another at the bottom. That's not the point. They are dancing together, moving together, all at one for each other's sake. To use the analogy of a band, again, which is not perfect, a band doesn't work unless they all work together. If suddenly, you know, Brian decides to do a drum solo in the middle of the verse, that doesn't work. If, you know... Cindy is playing something here. I don't know why I didn't think about the three of us being a band here this morning. (laughs) Which was not the plan, certainly, anyway. But if the three of us are not working together, then it sounds awful. It doesn't work. If Cindy decides we're going to play in the key of F, but I want to play in G because it works better with those chords, that doesn't work. If one of us decides that well, the other two are just going to have to do whatever I do, then that's not how a band makes music. And so always and constantly within God, as, a, as this one God, he is making beautiful music, evolving in a dance, participating in this incredible thing that we can hardly comprehend. And yet working together, not for the sake of one member, 
but together as one unit, honoring each other, blessing each other, serving each other even. So it's not that God the Father is really the star of the trio, or that Jesus is and the Holy Spirit is the silent partner. No, all together they are one working as one in all things. Again, I understand how difficult this might be for us to grasp, but it's important for us to understand some of these dynamics, and you'll begin to see why here in a moment. So uh, eternal subordination, that simply means that always and forever Jesus is underneath or in obedience to the Father, like in a hierarchy, always and forever, eternally. That's not the case here. What I've been saying is that there's this constant dynamic between all three together. Let's look at a verse now that sort of expresses some of this, where Jesus is talking about um, a number of things all at once. This is towards the end of his life, but not quite there just yet. John 14, 9 and 10, and also verse 26. Jesus says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, if you've ever heard me sing a solo on the radio, you've heard my band. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. So we're seeing how this is a constantly, you know, back and forth, give and take, working together in all things. And then, a few verses later, in verse 26, he says, When the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Do you begin to see how this weaves back and forth between all three persons in a distinct way? Jesus will ask his Father to send the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, the Spirit is going to point to Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is pointing to the Father. And the Father is pointing to the Spirit. And the Spirit is pointing to Jesus. And all around and round and round, they together are working and acting, moving as one. Why is it this way? I can't tell you that other than this is who God is. And so this is how God works. And as we begin to explore these mysteries, it could confuse us and we could get to a point where we just say, well, fine, but I don't get what that has to do with my life. And so we want to get to, in, into some of that now. Because what we have seen in God is a representation of how we are to live and how reality itself was formed. Okay, so I say all of that, and let's look at this quote. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches us that at the core of reality lies not an isolated self, but a community of humble love. So self-serving and disunity are not just wrong, but doomed. To paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, this reality is like the law of gravity. You can never break it. We can only break ourselves against it. And that's John Ortberg in an article where he was really in, in significant conversation with Dallas Willard, another theologian. Um, but here we see that at the core of reality is what? What's at the core? It's a community of humble love. 
that is what the Trinity is. That's who God is. It's a community of love, the three of them together. And so at the core of reality is that. And out of that community of love, where they're humbly deferring to the other and honoring each other above themselves, out of that, God, the three in one, created the world as a reflection of himself, to work in that same way. We say that love makes the world go round. That's because it was created by the one who is love. And it is the core reality for it all. So, the core of reality is a community of humble love. So, if that's true, then we can't be self-serving, and we can't be in disunity with each other. Because that's not a reflection of how reality was created and meant to be. That's not a, a reflection of who God himself is. So it's like gravity. We can pretend it doesn't exist. We can pretend that love isn't at the center of it all. But we're only going to smash into the ground. And, and like gravity, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But when we look into the Bible, we see it expressed there. We see its reality and its effects, and we can describe that with that word. Just as the word gravity isn't in the Bible, it still exists whether it's mentioned or not. We still see its effects. We still see its reality. Likewise, we look into the Bible, we don't see the word trinity, but we see it present and on display in those three persons working together in this unique way as one who is God. And so we listen to this and we recognize that if the core reality of the world is love and it's built around God, the creator who is love, then that should shape how we live in every aspect. Because that's reality. That's the core of it all. And let's, let's look at this next verse, which is really the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. The one God isn't just speaking in royal language. The one God is three persons working together in creation to make all things come about. And in perfect unity, in perfect harmony, God creates. And his creation is a reflection of himself, who he is. Maybe you've seen a painting by an artist, or you've heard a piece of music, and you see how that creation, that piece of art, is a reflection of its creator. It somehow matches, it resonates, it's clear to see how this person created that. Well, here we see from the beginning pages of the Bible that God creates and he creates all of reality based around who he is. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So already we begin to see that the purpose of humanity, of us as people, 
is to reflect the nature of God in the world. And if that's the case, that has strong implications for how we should live here within this reality, within this world. Let's begin to go further and pursue this theme. In John 17, 21, this is just before Jesus is about to be killed. It's what's called sometimes the second Lord's Prayer. It's a lengthy prayer where we get to hear Jesus speaking to the Father, praying for his disciples, praying for us. And Jesus says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. See, Jesus is praying that we would experience that kind of oneness, that incredible, eternal, mysterious dance of humble, self-giving love. He's praying that we would enter into that with him and with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He's praying that we would enter the dance, that we would join the music, that we would embrace the song and internalize it and be part of making that beautiful music in the world. Not only to be part of the life of God with ourselves, but together as a community, we would enter into that dance and song and music and and sing it for the world to hear so that the world would see, hear, and be invited to join in the dance, the song, the music as well. Now, this may seem poetic to you. It may seem hard to comprehend. It may seem a little bit heady. But I hope what you're getting is that who God is should shape in every way who we are and how we live. And that the core reality of who God is should be how we live as well. Let's continue on. In 1 John 4, 7 and 8, and verse 12, which I read earlier, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Listen to those last couple lines again, because that's absolutely incredible to think about. If we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full, not partial, not halfway, full expression in us. We experience the fullness of God within us when we love each other. And if we don't love each other, if we don't care about the people around us, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our homes even, if we don't care about the people around us, then we are somehow missing out on who God is and what life is meant to be. Our core reality is lacking and missing because we do not have love, which is the core center of it all. If anyone does not love They do not know God, for God is love. And we can say this because as the three of them together are in this eternal dance with one another, honoring each other, serving one another, submitting to each other, so that the other would receive glory together as this one unit. If that's the core reality of the world, how can we not also be like that? Be loving. Doctrine is not about getting the right answer. 
so much as it is living in the right way. The beliefs that we have are hopefully true. Because if they're not, we will not live fully. But when we understand the truth about who God is, when we understand how he has created us to be, then that means our life is as full and alive as possible. You don't have to worry about you know, getting to the pearly gates and, and answering a multiple, multiple choice quiz on whether or not you get in. The test will have been how you lived and treated others and whether your life was a reflection of the one who created you, who gave you purpose, who intended meaning for all of us. Doctrine isn't about some cold facts, memorizing details. Doctrine is about understanding what reality is and living, living with that truth. Let's go on to the next verse here. John 13, 35, Jesus is speaking about this, and now it's beginning, we're beginning to see how this plays out more. Jesus, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Because once again, if you're not loving each other, then you don't actually know God. If you're not somehow caring for one another, then you're not actually participating in what God is all about. If you're not about what God is about, then you're not my student. You're not my disciple. And then in Ephesians 5.21, we hear Paul now speaking to the people of Ephesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because that's what Christ did to his Father. That's what the Spirit did to the Son. And all back and forth together, they were honoring, serving, giving to the other, caring about the other more than the self. But in so doing finding that all are taken care of. I heard a great little story uh, just yesterday, actually, where a teacher uh, took um, uh, their students, say 30, 30 kids in the class, and had 30 balloons. Each balloon had the name of one of the students on it. They were all sort of mixed up all together. And what the teacher said is, you have one minute to find the balloon with your name on it. And so, you know, it was all a jumble and then go. Well, the students are scrambling for one whole minute and at the end of that minute, only a few have managed to find their name on the balloon. But then the teacher said, we're going to try again and this time, take whatever balloon you have and give it to the person whose name is on it. Well, within 30 seconds, they all had their balloon. They were all matched. They were all cared for. They all had what they were looking for. This is a small picture of what's happening in the Trinity all the time. The Son is giving to the Father. The Father is giving the Spirit. The Spirit is giving to the Son. On and on, caring for the other's needs rather than looking out for self first. And when we begin to live in that way, where we are looking to care for another first, we find that our needs are being met at the same time as well. Now, I would say a word of caution that we do need to make sure we are taking care of ourselves and being responsible for ourselves, but that's a different conversation for another day. 
when we seek to honor each other and look out for the needs of the other in a healthy community that is humbly serving in love, all will be cared for and all needs will be met. And the early church started to live in that way, and so they started to sell land and sell property in order to give money to those who were in need. And they would gather together and share meals and food and time and energy and resources because that was the dynamic of humble serving in love that represented the heart of God himself. This is how we show the reality of God in our world. This is how we experience fullness of life for ourselves. It's that we give to each other and love. Look at this now last verse. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18-20 as he has died and been raised and is now commissioning his disciples, his followers, his students to live. He is giving them this mission in the world. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples or students of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So all of this activity is based on God who is three in one. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. The primary command was what? To love. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our mandate as a church. But because it's the intent for all human beings around the world from the beginning anyway, is that we would love each other, serve each other, care for each other, just as God himself does within himself. And I want to say one other thing as as I'm talking about God. I'm often using the language himself. But I want you to hear clearly that God is beyond male or female. God creates men and women both in his image. Women are not less than men. And we should not perceive God simply as masculine. He is greater and beyond any masculine form. And perhaps it's even unfortunate that we have the the language of father and son because it misconstrues that reality. God is greater than we can comprehend. We have simply had to use words that have meaning for us. So I say himself as a way of referencing God, but it would be just as uh, uh, appropriate to say God's self. And many times I use the word God as the pronoun for God because the word he is not quite enough. With that said, what is God all about? dynamically loving within God's self. Humbly serving the other distinct person eternally, forever honoring, honoring, loving, giving. And God wanted to experience that with us as well as he created us. It's his intention for us as a church to care for one another and to care for the world so fully and completely that they recognize the fullness of God amongst us and in the world. What a beautiful picture it would be if all of us were looking to give someone else their balloon. What a beautiful picture it would be if all of us were looking to give and serve whatever needs we saw around us. What a beautiful thing it would be is if our lives 
were a true reflection of the life and love of God. And so doctrine, the truth, the teaching of the church matches up so clearly with how we live that I hope as we go through this series, we will see very clearly who God is and what he's calling us to do so that we wouldn't be robbed of life, but we would have it in all of its fullness because God is with us and in us. And just because we're in the neighborhood, that last verse said that Jesus was calling us to go to the world to teach them and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to have a baptismal tank soon. Maybe you're going to be one of the first ones to be baptized in. Let's pray together. Father God, we come as your children to know your love. Displayed in Jesus, there at the cross. Raised to new life by the Spirit, so that not only would Jesus live again, but that we might as well. May your resurrection life come alive within us so that our character begins to match yours and our activity is a reflection of who you are and what you do, which is love. A strong, robust giving of oneself for the sake of another, mutually honoring and serving to know real life. Help us to know you and to know your truth. Help us to live that, that the world might know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.